Well, good morning, Northland. Yeah. Definitely get to that bookstore because I'm a little bit behind. I am on season one of The Chosen. I just saw Jesus and Nicodemus talk, and uh, I was weeping like a baby in my bed last night, and Joni wasn't next to me because she's on a little girl's trip, and so I'm just sitting there weeping, and this grown man, and it's just amazing. So uh, you better beat me to the bookstore because uh, I'd like that, and so I didn't even know we were doing it, and so anyways... Well, hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. We're diving back into the book of Acts in our series, Empowered. So we just finished our mini series, All Things New. Now we're going back to the book of Acts, and we're just kind of walking through the book of Acts. Now, I think that all of you, you would know what this acrostic here stands for. What does it stand for? Everybody just say it out loud greatest of all time. That's right. So we're about to play a little game. Now I'm about to put up a series of photos with images. And when I point to the image, if you think they are the greatest of all time, I want you to applaud, cheer, do whatever. Do not boo. All right. Everybody say, do not boo. We're the church. We don't boo. All right. So we don't boo people. And so y'all ready to play the game? All right, here we go. The greatest of all time here. All right, Jordan has it from 5 p.m. yesterday to 9 a.m. this day. Jordan has won. Yay! All right, so next set of images. All right, so ladies, I put this picture up for you. Like, I don't think there's any guys watching Iron Chef. Maybe a handful, maybe. So I put this up here for you. All right, here we go. Morimoto. Bobby Flay. Michael Simon. So Bobby Flay has one in all three gatherings. Yay, way to go, Bobby Flay. All right, next set of images. All right, so golf, Tiger. Jack Nicholas. Okay, tie, we'll just do a tie, all right. All right, next set of images. Oh, so fictional characters. This is fascinating, this is very fascinating. Mickey. Bugs. you people like I mean every every gathering you have to tell me why not now not now but this is fascinating we are in Mickey's backyard and he's lost every three every gathering all right so next set of images all right so football football Marino Unitas Montana Peyton Manning As you can tell, I'm a Peyton Manning fan. Tom Brady. Boo! I'm, oh, 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 sorry. Oh, man. And then Otto Graham, who played for the Cleveland Browns, won three Super Bowls. I didn't even know that sucker existed. So anyways, but... Uh, so I don't know who really won of the three gatherings. But and then oh, the last one. I had to do this for my internet. I have no dog in this fight. I have no dog. All right, here we go. But... Messi. Ronaldo. And then Pele. Man, we got some old school people in here. I love it. So you say, all right, Pastor Josh, why, why are you doing that? Well, because in our cultural context, we love to have these discussions about who is the greatest of all time. But what if we had those discussions about churches? Well, what would constitute a church? becoming part of that list, that GOAT list. 
And if we really entered into that kind of conversation about what constitutes a goat church, the greatest of all time, in our cultural context, we would be tempted to think about bodies, buildings, and budgets. We would say, oh yeah, the largest churches, yeah, they have the most bodies, the biggest buildings, the biggest budgets, they, they've got to be considered. And then we'll look at their pastor. I mean, you know, how good is their pastor? Are there pastors in their history? And then they'll look at the programs and the ministries and what they can do. And they'll go, okay, all three of those, those are the stats that we would look at to see if a church would make the greatest of all time list. But what we will see this morning in Acts 11, none of those things count towards the list of the greatest of all time. See, I I think we have a lot of things backwards today here in our context about what the greatest of all time church would look like. And so what we will see this morning is the church of Antioch, which actually in the 2000 years of church history, it truly would make that list of one of the greatest churches of all times. Now, let me give you some background about the church at Antioch. Here is where that church was located. And do you notice Jerusalem is down here about 300 miles south. So that's where the church was birthed in Jerusalem. But then as we will see this morning, that they scattered and here are some of the areas and places that they went to and Antioch is one of them. And here are some things that you need to know about the city of Antioch. It's actually in present day Turkey. It was founded around 300 BC. So one of Alexander the Great's generals named this city after his father, Antiochus. And then it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. It was actually called the Athens of the East. It was between 250 and 500,000 people. It was a very strategic city because as you could see, it's here near the Mediterranean. There was a major river that ran through Antioch, and so it was a major trade post of the day. And then it was this cosmopolitan city. You're like, what's a cosmopolitan city? Well, it just meant that people from all over the, the known world lived and worked in this city. And so that's why it was a cosmopolitan city, and it's actually in this city where one of the greatest churches of all time existed. And so here's the, uh, here's the question that I, I'm posing. What constitutes a goat church? Now, as I just said, what we would typically think would be a, a great church isn't really what the Bible would say is a great church. And so here's what constitutes a goat church. It's God's people participating in his mission. So it's not how big a church is, how many programs, how many ministries, how great their preacher is, how great their music is. And again, I'm not saying that those things are bad, but those things do not constitute a goat, a greatest of all time church. So so with that, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? And just, I'm just going to warn you right now, um, I might preach a couple, couple moments in, in this message. Is that all right? Okay, all right. Well, if only one of you said it, I'm going to do it still. Anyways, but, 
So Acts 11, 19 through 30. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God and what the grace of God had done, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their what? Heart. He was a good man, that old Barnabas was, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas, he went to Tarsus, which is about 100 miles away, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. So for a whole year, old Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch and cannot wait to explore that one with you. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus, and he stood up and through the spirit, he predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. Now, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help or care for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So let's fast forward to chapter 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger. You know why he was called Niger? Because he was black. And then Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. I just want you to notice how diverse the group of leaders are here at Antioch. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Father, may you be glorified. At Jesus, our King, I pray that you would be the center of our lives, that you would be the center and anchor here at Northland Church. And I pray that each believer, uh, they, their entire lives would revolve around the glory and the renown of King Jesus. And I pray, Spirit, that you would be unleashed here this morning, that you would go to work shaping and forming your people more into the image of their king. I pray for those who are far from Jesus this morning. Spirit, will you go to work drawing them? Will you go to work convicting them? And will you bring them to the beauty, the grace, the goodness, and the transforming power of our king? And we pray all of this in his mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, we're going to answer three questions this morning. Who participates in God's mission? How do they participate in God's mission? And then really, how do they effectively participate in God's mission? All right, so question number one, who participates in God's mission? Well, so we see in this entire passage some key thoughts. Uh, we see in verse 19, those who had been scattered, verse 20, some of them the Lord's hand was on them in verse 21. Then we see the church in Jerusalem, they come into the picture. And what do they do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And then Barnabas was glad and encouraged them. Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So in this 
In this list right here, we see at least four kinds of people that participate in God's mission. Uh, the, the first group of people is them. Everybody say them. Yeah. Now, who's them? We don't know. We, we don't know their name. Now, all we know is that they're ordinary Christians participating in an extraordinary mission. And I, I love that because when it comes to a goat church, that church will not become greatest of all time because of their pastor or their music person or their children's person. A goat church will become great because of them. Here's a, uh, here's a principle. The faithfulness of the unknown to make their faith known is the key ingredient to make a church great. You know what's going to make Northland great. It's not me, not Marsh. It's you. You are what's going to make Northland great. Those that, we, you, I might not even know your name. Other people might not even know your name. Other people might not even know that you go to Northland. But the unknown, making Jesus known, is the key ingredient to making a church great. I love it. I love it. It's not the, it's not the celebrity. It's the unknown. And then the second person that we see or the people, is church in Jerusalem. So you can look at the church in Jerusalem as the mother church. So they catch wind what God might be doing in Antioch, and so they start looking around, well, who can we send? Barney, Barney, yeah, that you, man, Barney. Like, Barnabas, you are the son of encouragement. If anybody can encourage these people, you can. And so we'll look at Barney here in a second. But the church in Jerusalem, they got involved. It's like the mother church. Now, in Northland's history, we have been a mother church to many different campuses and church plants and, and missionaries around the world. I want you to understand that we want to continue to do that. So at some point in the next couple of years, we're going to plant campuses and churches. We actually are crafting a strategy right now to plant what we call micro churches. We want to be a mother church encouraging younger churches in the faith. And so what we see is the church in Jerusalem, they are part of God's mission. Uh, then the next person, and I mentioned his name is oh, oh, Barnabas. Everybody say Barney. Barney. That, that, everybody, every church needs some Barneys. But Barney, he, he's a mature believer, loves the Lord, and just wants to encourage people in the faith. And many of you, you would fit that bill of being a Barney, you, you've, been, you've been a believer for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Man, we need you to encourage people in the faith. So we need them. We need a mother church. We need Barneys. But also here's the fourth person that we see in that list, and it is Saul. Oh, I, I, I love what we see here with, with Saul because he had only been a believer for really less than 10 years and he had this unique vocational call on his life. Now, the fascinating part about Saul was that he was the one who instigated the persecution that drove people to Antioch. Let's read about that in Acts chapter 7 and 8. So they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named, everybody say his name. 
Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him. Oh, yeah, way to go. Way to take Stephen out. Now, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Should you flee as a believer if your life's in danger? Yeah, go ahead and do it. We see all throughout the Bible. All right, now, now here's what happened. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Paul began to destroy the church. Now, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It was Saul that instigated the persecution that drove people all throughout that region, all the way up to Antioch. But now Barnabas is going to get him because God had done a work in his life. So one day, and if you were here as part of, as part of our Empowered series a couple months ago, you, you heard about Saul's transformation, but he was on the road to Damascus and God knocked that sucker down, just knocked him down to the ground, blinded him, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because if you go after the church, you're actually going after me. Why are you doing that? And Paul's like, or Saul, it's like, who are you, Lord? And and then what, what, what the Lord does to Saul is he draws Saul to himself. He convicts Saul and he saves and transforms Saul. And Saul goes back to the church at Jerusalem and no one wanted to be in Saul's small group. <laughs> like who, who wants to be in Saul's life group? Not me. Now you saw what he did. You saw, no. But guess who came alongside of Saul? Oh, Barney in Jerusalem. He's like, man, God's done a work in Saul's life. Man, we need to receive this brother. And so they do end up receiving him. And then when everybody's scattering, he goes back to Tarsus where he is from. And, and now Barnabas, he goes and gets Saul and he brings him back to minister. See, we need in, in this church, we need some Saul's. And let me just, let me speak to my Bridges of America family. Let me speak to my family there in the Seminole County jails, my brothers and sisters. Let, let me say, maybe you identify with Saul. Uh, maybe you have done something in your life that you aren't proud of, that you are actually embarrassed, that you think has stopped you in your tracks and there's nothing for you. Let me say, let me say it this way. So Saul, Saul was that kind of guy. I mean, he was giving applause to someone being killed. He was the one trying to destroy the church. All he wanted to do was follow the Lord and tell others about him. But God, he rescued Saul. God delivered Saul, redeemed Saul, transformed Saul. And Saul became an instrument in the hands of God. We need some Saul's at Northland. Here, here's a principle that we learn about Saul. The object that tries to obstruct God's mission can be transformed into an instrument that instructs God's mission. I said this at nine o'clock and I truly believe it. Hey, some of those Bridges of America folks, Seminole County Jail, brothers and sisters, I promise you there's coming a day when, when one or multiple multiple of you will be on staff here at Northland because God can transform you just as he did with Saul. And so that's who participates in God's mission. So let's look at the second question and what do they do to participate in God's mission? So what do they do to participate in God's mission? So you're actually going to see familiar language this morning as we walk through but I do want to draw your attention to, to one particular thing that is outside the four C's, and it's this. They did not lose heart. 
You see, even in the face of persecution, when they were scattered and they went all over the region, they did not lose heart. It didn't shut them up. The persecution did not shut them up. It did not shut them down. It did not stop them. In fact, it actually inflamed them. So I know that when we go through life, especially when we go through darkness and, and valleys of the shadow of death, when we go through hurt and heartache, there is a tendency to stop gospel movement, gospel advancement. But that's not what we see in the early church. They did not lose heart. So regardless of how dark our context gets, we'll never lose heart of the light that we possess in Jesus. So, so here's the four things that they actually did. The, the first thing that they actually did was partake in commission. They participated in the great commission. Now what we see here in the text, so as, as they are scattered, you have, you have some people that are just spreading the word only to Jews. That's who they're comfortable with. Now, some of them in verse 20, they actually began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus, and a great number of them believed and turned to the Lord. This is fascinating because this is the very first time in the book of Acts where we see complete pagans coming to faith in Jesus. So far, we've seen Jews come to Jesus. We've seen Samaritans come to Jesus. We've seen God-fearing Gentiles like Cornelius come to Jesus. But now, these are, these are pagans. These are people, they were at the temple the night before, or worshiping Apollos or worshiping Zeus. Uh, these, were, these were people that were participating in cultish practices. I mean, they're the ones that are hearing the word, and they are responding, and they're putting their faith in Jesus, and they are turning. That, that means that they are repenting and following him. Here at Northam, we want to love people far from Jesus. Oh, well, here's how we say it here at Northland, neighbors and nations. Because you do realize, if, if you don't know, and maybe this is, will be a good reminder, that here at Northland, we exist to glorify God as we participate in his mission of redeeming a people from all peoples by engaging neighbors and nations to be fully alive in King Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Neighbors and nations. And so here the church at Antioch, it was birthed because you had believers willing to go to the nations, people that didn't look like them, talk like them, think like them, dress like them, believe like them, but they were willing to go to them. And, and that's what we want to do here at Northland. And, and I, I want you to know that we have now entered into a time in, in Western civilization, in, in American history, that we have not been in ever, and that is the post-Christian era. Like we have a lot of people, man, they are far from Jesus. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. They don't believe like us. They don't have politics like us. And God has us here. He has planted us here to reach them. And so not only do we want to reach the local context and our nation that we live in, but we want to constantly also be sent to the nations because that's what we see also in Acts 11 and 13 is that now Antioch will be the first church to intentionally send out cross-cultural missionaries. So a goat church actually is one that participates in the Great Commission. 
And so we want to be a goat church that participates in the Great Commission. Now, the second thing that they do also is that they connect. They connect. Now, how do they connect, Josh? Well, they move from converts to community. So we see that they come to know Jesus. And then in verse 26, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of them. And so now they're connecting as this family. They're connecting as the people of God. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked about how the church in the New Testament is mentioned as the body of Christ the family of God, the household of God, the bride of Christ. And here, they are connecting with one another in the context of a church, of the called out ones. They have been saved from the world. They have been planted now as an embassy, as ambassadors of the king, and therefore they are sent back into the world. That is what it means to be the church. And so they move from converts to a community. Here at Northland, we have many ways that we can connect with one another as we connect with God. Corporate worship is certainly one way. Uh, nights of worship, as we're having tonight, that's another way. And then we've set up some other classes where you can learn about Northland. And then we also have prayer moments. So every Wednesday morning, every Thursday evening, we have a group of English speakers. Uh, Wednesday morning is on Zoom. And then Thursday, it's in person. And then even for our Latino brothers and sisters, every Tuesday, there is a prayer group and small group that meets. So we are connecting with one another as we connect with our Father in heaven. So we're going to participate in God's commission. Uh, we are going to participate in connecting with one another as we connect with God. The third thing that the church at Antioch does is that they are cultivated more into the image and likeness of Jesus. Now, I, I love what we see here. Let me teach for a moment here. Because we see... Barnabas, when he arrives, he, he sees what the grace of God is doing and he's glad. Are you glad when you see God doing something in his church? Or, or yeah, yeah, go ahead. Are you, are you glad? So Barnabas had the eyes of Jesus and he, he, he could see when Jesus was moving and he, he was glad. But, but then, as, he, as he's glad, we see that he also encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. Now, here's where I want to teach for a moment. That word, encourage, it's a fascinating word. It's the Greek word, parakaleo. And it's, it's comprised of two words, para, kaleo. So that word para, we actually use it in our context, like paralegal, paramedic. It just simply means to come alongside. Now, kaleo means to instruct or encourage or exhort. And it also carries this connotation of strong and intense encouragement. Now, the noun form of parakaleo is paraclete. Now, some of you Bible scholars, you'll know, you'll know immediately who paraclete refers to. But paraclete in the in the New Testament is used twice. The first time it is used, Jesus uses it to tell his disciples that you need to wait on the paraclete. You need to wait on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come 
And he's going to exhort you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to be with you and for you and advise you. And then John, writing in 1 John, he says to the believers that we have an advocate. We have a paraclete, and his name is Jesus. And so what Barnabas is doing is he's engaging in the ministry of the Son of Man and the Holy Spirit through this ministry of encouragement. He's coming alongside. He's for them. He's with them. He's advising them. He's giving them counsel. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be conformed more in to his image. What it does, it reminds me of this proverb of iron sharpening iron. Now, I, I'm, I'm not one of the blacksmiths. Like, I, I didn't grow, I, listen, I won't even take a fish off the hook. So, so when it comes to being a blacksmith, but, but I have read about it in this book, Tempered Resilience. And, and so if you wanna, if you wanna shape or mold iron, you gotta, you gotta get that iron hot, you gotta, it's got to be so hot that it becomes soft and malleable so that this other piece of iron can go to work shaping and forming that piece of iron. You see, so that's the ministry of encouragement. There's this truth and grace component that, that you have to have this truth where you have to hear things that you don't want to hear but that you need to hear, but you need to do so in the context of community which is why I really want to be a, a pastor that, that actually exercises this ministry of exhortation and encouragement. That's the reason why I want to be accessible. That's the reason why I stand out in the lobby before and after this. The reason why if you ever want to go out to dinner with me and Joni, we really want to be available. Now we got a long list. It's a waiting list because we're only one. But, but the reason why, don't miss my heart in this. The reason why is that I know that that many times when I stand up here and preach, it is hard to digest it. It's hard. But you can digest it in the context of a relationship when you know the person who's given it to you, he loves you or she loves you. See, Barnabas, he came alongside of the believers at Antioch and he told them what they needed to hear of what it meant to follow Jesus in the context of a loving, loving community. But don't miss this either. Look at what happened in their cultivation. So, so he, he encourages them, and then a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Come in here, church, for this. Healthy Christian discipleship leads to deeper missional engagement. See, there, there's been this thought for the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. Well, man, we, we a deep church. We a deep church. We got Bible studies. Man, we're going we to teach you the Bible. But the problem is with many of those churches, they're all in these Bible studies learning and going deeper into the Bible, and they're less present in the community. See, what we see in a goat church is that the deeper we know Jesus, the more we know Jesus, the more present we are in the community. Amen. So you cannot have healthy discipleship without robust missional engagement. But again, 
That's something that churches in our context have struggled with. But there's also one other thing that I want to draw your attention to. You ready for it? All right, so this was where they were called Christians for the very first time. Here's the Greek word for Christian. It's Christianos. Here's what it means, the party of Christ. I was taught for years that when they called the believers at Antioch Christians, it was a derogatory term, it was a pejorative. That isn't true, that's actually not correct. The, the city didn't know what to call them. And so they called them Christians, the party of Christ, and, and here's why. You have to understand in this day and age, in the first century, people were categorized in, in this kind of cultural context by their ethnicity, their tribe, and their religion. A religion in this day and age was national, ethnic, and tribal. There was not one religion that united diverse people together. But when Christianity showed up in the world, that all changed. So in the cosmopolitan city of Antioch, you had Jews, you had Greek-speaking Jews, you had Greeks, you had Middle Easterners from, from, from all over, and they're coming together as one body, one people, professing one Lord. And the city didn't know what to do. Now, we, we actually have another example of this idea of the party of, and it's found in Matthew 22. In Mark 3, they are referred to as the Herodians. That wasn't a pejorative term. That wasn't a derogatory term. It was just classifying a group of people who were of the party of Herod. So, so now what we were having is that this diverse group of people, they keep talking about this man named Jesus. They just must be of the party of Jesus. Now... Let me teach you something here. So, so Jesus, uh, the, the gospel, the good news that, that the king, King Jesus, he's the cosmic king come to make all things new. So, so Jesus speaks to every heart of every person in every culture at all times. Uh, the, the gospel, Jesus, isn't an invitation to a local, tribal, ethnic, or national religion. At this point in time, in Acts 11, it wasn't an invitation to join a Jewish religion where you had to become fully culturally and religiously Jewish. It isn't even today. It is an invitation to join Western civilization or a white religion, as some have said, where, where you become culturally and religiously white. Jesus, the, the gospel, is an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. That's what the gospel is. And that invitation has been extended to every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. And the early church at Antioch, they were living out this reality that Jesus is for every person in every age. Now, I want you to know that we're actually living out this reality here at Northland. We have over 40 nationalities represented in our congregation. We have people from Argentina, Brazil, Canada, Chile, China, Colombia, Costa Rica, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Egypt, Ethiopia, France, Germany, Ghana, Honduras, Guatemala, 
Greece, Haiti, India, Indonesia, Iran, Jamaica, Japan, Liberia, Nigeria, Sierra Leone. You know who's from Sierra Leone, don't you? You, you see him walking up in that, that, that lobby. And he's like, boop. That's Pastor Gus, by the way. South Korea, Turkey, Uganda, Ukraine, Russia, Tunisia, Venezuela, Mexico, the Philippines, United Kingdom, Vietnam, Taiwan, Guyana, Netherlands, and Italy. All right here. And did I miss somebody? Puerto Rico. We'll add Puerto Rico to the list. But I also want you to think of this. We have all seven generations represented here at Northland. We have the greatest generation, the, the silent or traditional generation. We have baby boomers and Gen Xers and millennials and Gen Z and Alpha. I mean, just think about how different each generation is. And then not only do we have multinationals and multi-ethnicities and multi-generations, but we have multicultures, subcultures that are found right here in the US that are underneath black and brown and white and the one thing that unites us is actually a person and his name is king jesus <laughs> we don't belong to the democrat party we don't belong to the republican party so our allegiance isn't to a donkey or an elephant but it is to the lion of the tribe of judah uh, we might be part of club but we are part of one kingdom under one king and his name is jesus and that is a blessing and a challenge. Everybody say blessing. That is a blessing, but that's also a challenge. Say challenge. Why is that such a challenge? Could you imagine where two or more gathered, there is drama. Could you imagine when there's over 40 different nationalities, seven different generations from you coming off from all kinds of backgrounds? You, man, that's a challenge. It's a challenge. And that's why sometimes when it comes to the church, if we're going to be a goat church, we got to bring our, our, our diversity in and be unified in our diversity, not in uniformity, but in unity. We all don't need to look alike. It's okay. Like, just think about the forms of expression, because that, that's what was going on. I mean, if you study the New Testament, you will always see that there was this challenge of unity and diversity. And so we have diversity in our expressions of our faith. There are some of you, when, when we're up here worshiping through song, man, you're just sitting there like this. And that's okay. There's some of you, you're, you're sitting there like this. There are some of you, you're like, woo! Man, yeah, woo, woo, woo! That's okay. There are some of you, when I'm preaching, you give the little grunt, mm. Mm. that's okay. There's some of you, you, you get the head nod. Mm. Some of you, you happy clapping, woohoo, yeah, yeah, I can't even get a word out. You got, you got to clap, you got to clap. That's all okay. And so what, what typically happens today, because we live in such a consumer-driven culture, is that people don't have a good experience at a church because it's not their style, it's not their expression. And so they'll give a church a bad review because they've made church all about them. And they've no longer become part of the party of Jesus, they become part of the party of party poopers. <laughs> I haven't said that in any other gathering. You're welcome. 
But, but come in for this though. If you make church and the expressions of worship only about one kind of party, your party will always be much smaller than the party of Jesus. I mean, just think about the diversity of food that we all enjoy. I mean, there, there are some of you, I mean, you cook some spicy food, but it's good. Some of you, man, it's some, it's some salty and salt, 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 but it's good. So some, of, some of you cook some healthy and vanilla food, like gluten-free. I mean, praise the Lord if you, if you need that. Uh, some of you cook food that has a kick to it. Some of you, you cook food with real flavors that make your taste buds dance. Some of you cook food that makes, makes me want to close my eyes and just praise the Lord it's so good. And then some of you, you cook so much, you cook, you cook food with so much spice in it that it sets my mouth on fire, makes me sweat in places I didn't know I could sweat. <laughs> but we celebrate that diversity. And that's what the body of Christ is. It's a celebration of diversity as we belong to the party of Christ. The, the last thing that they actually did is that they cared. We'll go back. Yeah, they cared for one another. So they took up this offering, this collection, and they sent it down south to brothers and sisters they had never met. I mean, this is a volunteer. Tearing, or this is a, a, an offering of a, a volun, voluntary manner. Like no, no one's like telling them you got to do this. And this was radical in that day. And so here at, at Northland, we want to care for one another. That's so why we're having this ministry fair. You can become a towel holder in so many different areas. This is why we take up a benevolence offering. And once again, thank you so much for your generosity. This is why we give of our tithes and offerings so that we can continue to fund ministry and mission here through Northland. It's a way that we care. So, so look at these four things, commission, connect, cultivate, care. These are the four things that the church in Antioch did, which led to them being constituted as one of the greatest churches of all times. And then the last question is this, and I'm gonna answer it and be done. How do they effectively participate in God's mission? So this is who, this is what they do, and this is how they do it. No, notice these statements. The Lord's hand was with them. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And after they had fasted and prayed, that's when they sent them out. Church, this is probably the most important point right here. So the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was on them. And when you study that phrase, the hand of the Lord throughout scripture in both Old and New Testament, you, you, you see in the context that the Lord is guiding, the Lord is directing and leading and moving and strengthening and pursuing and he's drawing, he's, in, he's teaching, he's convicting, he's saving and he, and he is transforming. The hand of the Lord and I want you to know that the hand of the Lord was on them because of their hearts, not their hands. Their hearts were right. Their hearts were focused on the right thing. Church, please don't miss this. Northland, don't miss this. The hand of the Lord isn't on us because our hands do great things, but our hearts long for the Lord to do great things. 
The hand of God won't be on us because you have a great preacher. The hand of God won't be on us because we have great musicians, great singers who know how to play the guitar, who know how to play the piano. The hand of the Lord's not going to be on us because we have incredible children's ministries or student ministries. The hand of the Lord will be on us because we are begging, our hearts are begging the hand of God to do something. That's what constitutes a great church. And then we see that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This would lead to boldness in the face of danger, hope in the face of hopelessness, peace in the face of chaos, courage in the face of fear and power in the face of opposition and energy in the face of depletion. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And then, prayer and fasting. You know, years, years ago growing up, I, I would watch wrestling. Like Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, like the goats. Yeah. <laughs> and every single wrestler, they had a power move. And when that wrestler, when he enacted that power move, it was over. They were sure to win. Church, we, we have a power move. It is called prayer and fasting. And I'll just be honest with you. I was convicted when I was developing this message that, yes, I pray and I want to, and, and I really do. I, I feel like I pray consistently. I feel like I pray throughout the day. I'm just committed to a life of prayer. But fasting I don't fast. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't fasted in the past, is that it has not become a spiritual discipline, but I have been convicted by the Lord this week that if we want to be a goat church, we better not just pray. We better pray and fast. That prayer and fasting are the power move for the people of God to see spiritual breakthrough. See, if we wanna be, if we wanna be people, that can part the Red Sea like Moses, that can see the walls of Jericho fall like Joshua, that we, we, we see Goliath slayed like David, spout out wisdom like Solomon, call down fire from heaven like Elijah, face the fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, deal calmly with lions like Daniel, call people to repentance like Isaiah and Jeremiah. If we want to be able to hope like Job, cast out demons and impure spirits like our king, if we want to be able to participate in God's mission like the church at Antioch, we we will need to pray and fast. But here's what I know. You know what I know? See, we have been so conditioned here in America to attend when all the bells and whistles are coming out to entertain us so that we can come, so that we can come and consume some kind of spiritual experience. But if we say, hey, we're we're going to gather to have 24 hours of prayer and fasting. Only a fraction of God's people will show up. See, we have been so conditioned to consume the bells and whistles than to gather and become the bells and whistles praying for God to show up. And I'm convicted. I'm convicted. 
Here's the three things in summary. Here's the three things that constitutes a goat church. And here they are. Common believers engaging in God's mission. A commitment to the four C's. And complete dependency on the Holy Spirit. North, and we don't want to be a goat church for the sake of being in the goat conversation. We want to become one of the greatest churches of all time because we serve the greatest God of all eternity. That's why. And he deserves every fiber of our being to give it to him. Let's pray. Father, I just humbly bow as the pastor at Northland. surrender to you to become the church you have called us to be common believers engaged in gospel ministry and the common believers that are diverse but unified in Jesus through our commitment to the four C's and spirit we know we cannot do any of this without you We need you. Oh, we need you. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your advocacy. We need your ministry of encouragement in our life. Will you do something through Northland in this next season of ministry that we would have never dreamed that we could do? Because we are serving the greatest God, the King of all kings. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask that you stand with me. We're going to sing one last song. And I know time's running a little bit late. But again, this goes back to, man, it's not about time. It's about Him. And we're going to sing, Build Your Church. And I pray that this would be our anthem. This will be our prayer that we want God to build his church. Northland, I love you. Good night, I love you. And so grateful for you.